Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everything that's weighing you down on your daily stress, each time I go under a wave, it washes some of that away. And then... By the end of a normal surf session, it's usually gone. And then I come back and I'm just lighter. That is iconic surf film director Taylor Steele. And this is episode 180 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 180 of the show uh, with film director Taylor Steele. Find him on Instagram at Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R-S-T-E-E-L-E. Taylor Steele with an extra E. More about him in a moment. This is a podcast where each week, or in this case, a little more than each week, I speak with somebody who's figured out a way to get paid to do what they love. And uh, today I'm speaking with someone who has exactly done just that. A big thanks to everybody that has supported the show on Patreon. Without you, I can't make this show uh, due to the hecticity of my life at the moment. I uh, I need to pay an audio producer and uh, someone uh, to coordinate all of my guests. And so that is what Andy Ma, my producer, and Haley Van Spanja, my coordinator, do. And I need to pay them, and you help me pay them. So patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash O-S-H-E-R. If this show brings you value or has brought you value, please consider five bucks a month to head our way so uh, we can keep making the show for you. It's about the cost of a fancy cup of coffee, half a smoothie, um, two newspapers, uh, two songs on iTunes, um, things that you buy randomly that you don't think about, our bus ticket. Um, if you can spare $5 a month, I can give you exclusive episodes that no one else hears to say thank you for supporting the show. 
A big thanks to everybody that has sent me in a podsy this week. What is a podsy? Hashtag P-O-D-S-I-E. Take that phone out of your pocket, out of your bag, out of wherever you've got your phone right now. Open up the camera app. Take a photo of what you're looking at as you listen to my very words right now and send it to me. Send Osher email at gmail.com or tag me on Instagram or Twitter. It just helps us all get to know each other. You know, it helps me see the world as you see it and get a scope of how the world looks through your eyes. Uh, if you're driving, maybe wait. Don't do it right now. Uh, it helps us all to get to know each other a little bit better. I've got some great ones this week. Um, uh, some fantastic ones. Uh, traffic jams, people making snacks, meal prep, some workouts, people text, uh, taking photos out of plane windows as they travel from one place to another. Absolutely loving it. Uh, if you do want to support the show this week and you can't do either of those things, the really simplest thing to do is to uh, grab someone's phone that you know, that you love, that would uh, get value out of listening to podcasts, show them the podcast app on their phone or download a podcast app on their phone and uh, put a few episodes on there. Maybe you'd want to put a few episodes of this show. Maybe you wouldn't. doesn't matter. Just get them into podcasts and show them how to do it because a lot of people don't know still how to that there is even a podcast app on their phone, but that would really, really help me out. Um, I hope your week is doing okay. I've been uh, dealing with the effects of uh, dropping my meds again. I know we spoke about this last week, but yeah, I'm, I'm down to 75 milligrams. And it's if you've never taken meds for a mental illness or managing your mental health, it's a lot of them aren't anything like a paracetamol or an ibuprofen that you take and 20 minutes later you feel them kick in. It's nothing like that. Sometimes it takes up to a few weeks to notice any changes at all. Now, the one I'm on is actually uh, reacts fairly quickly and only takes about seven to 10 days. Uh, so I'm around that point now and uh, things are just starting to kick in slowly. The OCD is beginning to get a little noisier in my head. I, I don't have OCD like some people who say, oh my God, I have OCD. I have to tidy that. No, that's not what it is. Uh, often much to my wife's dismay that I don't have the tidying kind of obsessive compulsive disorder. Sorry, honey. Uh, no, I have the thinking ruminating kind of obsessive compulsive disorder that loops negative thoughts in my head incessantly. Uh, so much so the noise gets so loud, I, I'm actually paralyzed and can't do anything or say anything or think about anything at all. And um, yeah, when it gets really bad, it really, uh, really, really sucks. I end up quite exhausted because of it. Uh, but it's not like that at the moment because I'm trying to look after myself a lot and I'm on these uh, these new meds that we're working out the dosage of right now. Um, and I know enough now about how to manage it through other ways that I can, if it starts to get going, I can distract myself or, or rationalize my way out of it or or figure out other ways to deal with it um, as things get noisier in my head, which is which is good. Um, one of those things is running and running is helping a lot thanks to everyone that uh, posted photos of them running this week as well. So good to hear you're running as well. I mean, I went from not having run in a long time, maybe years, to being able to pull off uh, my first run, I think it was just under 4K. And um, that was a week ago, two weeks ago, and now I'm up to 7K already, which is great. I'm pretty happy with that. It's within two weeks I got up to that. Um, and last night was a perfect example of why I run because my brain started up, I got triggered, and my brain started up and it began to get going with a negative doom and, and worry whirlpools. Um, and through my run and a bit of moving meditation, I managed to sort it out. Um, somebody asked me about my running meditations and the chanting that I do when I run. I do go into great detail about that with Rich Roll on a podcast I did with him. If you just search for that in iTunes, you'll find it. I also talked about it on this show with Matt Riskigno, uh, which is like in the first year of this show, somewhere around episode 2012, episode 12, I mean. 
episode 20, something like that. I might do another revamp if enough people uh, ask me about it, but it really helps. It really works for me. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much all i got to tell you at the start of the show. Uh, so let me tell you about my guest today, Taylor Steele. Taylor Steele is a fascinating human. He is one of the most iconic and prolific surf filmmakers of our time. Uh, you can find him on Instagram at Taylor Steele, T-A-Y-L-O-R-S-T-E-E-L-E, Taylor Steele. Now, Taylor's made around 25 movies. Uh, he's made a bunch of uh, commercials as well. In fact, he says by his own admission, he, does, he doesn't make surf films for a living anymore. He makes other things as a filmmaker for a living now, and he makes surf films as a way to kind of clear the pipes out. Uh, but Taylor's first film he released in 1992. It was called Momentum. He was 20 years old when he made that film, and... Then Taylor captured a new and dominating style of surfing that hadn't really been seen before on a wide scale as he filmed a couple of young surfers that would go on to become household names in the surfing world for decades and decades to come. I'm talking about Shane Dorian, Rob Machado, Taylor Knox, and of course, Kelly Slater. Uh, he filmed in 92, the year that Slater won his first world title. He's since gone on to win, well, crikey, 11, 12 lots. Someone's going to correct me. Sorry about that. But heaps. He's very, very good at what he does. But as a film, it really documented a complete shift in the style of surfing that had been seen and propelled these surfers into absolute idols amongst fans. And fast forward now to 25 years later, uh, Taylor has a new film out. It's called Proximity, featuring some of the surfers that he documented um, on those first movies back then. The movie comes out on the 12th of May in Australia for a limited release, and it'll then... Uh, be released digitally, but I gotta urge you to go and catch it on the big screen. I've seen this film twice now, once on my desktop computer and once on the big screen, and it is easily the most beautiful surf film I've ever laid eyes on. If you've never surfed, it's still interesting. If you've ever wondered, if you ever wondered about what would drive someone to compete in the world of professional surfing, or indeed what that is all about, or someone that maybe dedicates their lives to surfing waves around the world that are as remote as possible and waves that have never been ridden this film's for you it's a really fantastic film it's a little under an hour so it's it's not a massive dedication of time um but it really goes a long way to explain the mindset behind why someone would do that with their life and and what it is to be a competitive surfer and what it is indeed to be a free surfer which is the kind of person that just travels around the world finding waves in far away places and the film does that by pairing surfers from different generations together and sending them on journeys to the four corners of the globe amidst the four seasons of the year. And Taylor has documented again what it means to surf, what it means to compete as a surfer, what it means to put your life on the line in search of a ride that takes place in harmony with the very rhythms of nature herself. It, it, it's a beautiful film. Uh, I can't recommend this movie enough. If you've always been curious about surfing and you wonder what's all that about, uh, you could watch it and then consider yourself schooled about why people would do it. Taylor's a remarkable guy by his own admission. He's he's quite shy. He's a very specific man. I can't thank him enough for the hour. It was very generous with his time, the hour that he gave me in his hotel room earlier this week. He even let me he even let me rearrange the furniture in his room so that I could get a better position for the microphone so he and I could sit face to face. Uh, so um, come now with me to the 10th floor of the QT Hotel in Sydney on Market Street. It's right in the middle of Sydney, across the road from the big Centrepoint Tower. But it's a long way from where we both were born. 
Um, but it's interesting that we found that moment to speak with each other and come for a look into the mind of someone who has always lived a life that he loves to live, always lived a life doing what he loves, a life creating and a life that plays a huge role in the surf industry today because he essentially, he wrote the theme song to an entire, if, if Kelly and Rob and, and Shane were the, the band, Taylor wrote the, Taylor wrote the song. Uh, that was the theme song to an entire generation of surfers. So uh, I hope you enjoy this hour of fascinating surfing-based philosophy with Taylor Steele. How are you, Taylor? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm really good. I'm grateful uh, that you had time this afternoon to do this. Yeah. This is a, a real a real thrill, as in, you know, having someone having watched your films for a long time, obviously, uh, you know, you must meet people all the time and just go, oh, hi. <laughs> uh, it's funny how surfers are really passionate and uh, they'll come up and say what what favorite film of mine that they like and I can guess what, how old they are by, by what film they, lo- they uh, love. Well, I'm a terrible surfer, uh, but it doesn't mean I don't. I, I surf yeah. about as well as I play golf. Right. Terribly, yeah. but I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a fun thing to do with my friends, but I'm very bad at it. But, yeah. But that doesn't matter. But we're sitting here in beautiful Sydney at the QT Hotel. This used to be a department store um, that, that they don't really have them like this anymore with a, like a manual operated lift with someone in there that would take you up and down. Um, but I'm guessing this is a long way from, from where you grew up. It is. I grew up in San Diego, California. And uh, yeah, I grew, I was there till I was 30 years old or so. And then my wife became pregnant and I started just this journey from there. So I haven't been back since. Which part of which part of San Diego? Encinitas. Right. I have a mate that lives in Del Mar. Yeah. Which is uh I, I lived in Los Angeles for a long time and I would I would catch that weird train that yep. goes down the beach. It's it's remarkable uh, you know that whoever was building the train track just went this looks like pristine coastline. Let's put a fucking great train line all <laughs> the way through it. I know it's a great view when you ride it. But it doesn't make sense at all. Not at all. <laughs> Having to wait for the train so you can cross with your surfboard. Yeah. Um, but the, the difference in surf between LA and San Diego is, is profound. The, the kind of surf breaks that you must have grown up on yeah. were just incredible. Well, the great waves there, I'm a little bit softer than over here in Australia, but more of the temperament's so different. You know, that, that there's a huge gap because of the military base and they protected a lot of land on, in, along the way. And there's just a real different sort of energy from San Diego to LA, I find. Out in the lineup? Lineup on land everywhere. Yeah. So like um, I, where I grew up reminds me of Northern Beaches in, in, in this area. Right. And so same sort of vibe. Um, it's real laid back. And then um, LA's got a little bit more hustle to it. I actually interviewed on this show. I had a, a former SEAL sniper who uh, took his surfboard to um, that marine base there. And uh, when he was in training, he wouldn't go out. Yeah. There's an island off there. Yeah. And he would just surf this, nobody on it, incredible peak all, all day to himself. I, I believe it. You know, like a lot of those places uh, on, on that zone, if you're surfing, they'll pull up with like a big hovercraft and kick you out. So they're watching you. You can't see anybody around, but if you sneak off onto the base, on the army base where there's good waves, they'll, they'll find you pretty quick. I've uh, surfed at I surfed at Fourth Street in uh, in Del Mar with my friend Jeremy and yeah. um, this 
helicopter came so low we could see the color of their eyes. No way. You know, and just hovering over do, 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 so slowly, the thud of the chopper is in your chest. <laughs> you know, and these guys are looking down at us and we're looking up at them. And like, I'm just sitting on the surfboard and then these, I wonder who wanted to be who more. They had a big toy to, this big toy to play with. So yeah. Do you remember the, the first time that you, you stood up on a surfboard? I do, yeah. Yeah, I remember it. Um, I actually remember the times where I didn't stand up, where my where my dad was pushing me into wow. waves, and I couldn't do it, and I would just hate it, and I'd fall over and get stuck underneath the, my board, and and it was just like this this uh, frustrating thing that my dad made me want to, you know, made me go to the beach and do, and finally, like I was just sort of, you know off it and I didn't do it for like he tried to get me surfing at three and I didn't do it till I was probably 10 11 when my friends asked me to go must have broke his heart well let's put it this way when I when I went to go surfing for the first time because my friends came over and go hey you have surfboards here let's all go for a surf Um, my dad heard that and he acted cool and and then when we went down the beach he secretly ran to the bluff and watched like all excited (laughs) we got to see me catch my waves but I yeah. guess it's got to be something that you want to do if it's something that your folks make you do. You know? Yeah, this is the charm. Some yeah. kids have uh, football or, or, or ballet or, or whatever their parents are forcing them into. Well, not forcing, but, you know, yeah. make, they were trying to share the stoke with their kid. Um, but was that – there's a lot of coastline to explore. Were you one of those kids that would, you know, catch the bus up and down the coast or hitch rides? Um, I was lucky. Uh, both my parents surfed. And so I was going on surf trips before I even surfed. And we were going down to Baja in Mexico and just, you know, I was just in the car and we would just be exploring waves. So it was always sort of in, in me that sort of exploring. Um, but we, I mostly went down to Mexico instead of all through California because it's right there. It's 30 minutes to the border. Right, and uh, from for, for folks who haven't been there, there's the the waves. If I'm not mistaken, the waves are marked by how many kilometers they are from the border. Is yeah, that right? yeah. As you cross the border, it's it's marked, you know, 38k, you know, back to the border, and that's how all the spots are for for a good distance. Because I only went there in my 30s, and then I was this was about 10 years ago. I was totally sketched out by, you know, I believed all the news reports about how scary it was and how frightening everything could be. And were you ever as a kid? made aware by your parents of that you were crossing into a different country with different police and this sort of thing? Um, yeah, you get the sense pretty quick that you're in a different vibe. But back when I was a kid, it was pretty safe. So it wasn't the same. It, it got worse as I got older, um, you know. But but as a kid, like, I just remember the roads not working, you know, the language not working, you know, like everything just being so different, you know, over there. And so... Um, yeah, I, I guess like as a kid, you don't really realize, um, you know, how remote you are. You just sort of assume that parents got it all figured out and you just sit in the back of the car and, and maybe there are some sketchy situations that happened, but I didn't notice. So when, when you were growing up and as a teenager, did it become like some, some people have guitars that they get really get into or some people have photography that they really get into? What was the thing that you was really firing in your belly when you were in high school? Yeah, like uh, actually, before like uh, I got into um, video, videoing was what I got into, um, and I sort of stole our family camera and started videoing every time we'd go to the beach. Was it a VHS or was it high eight by then? It it wasn't high eight. It was it was um, it wasn't like a big VHS tape, but it was uh, a sort of a hybrid that they don't even have anymore. Yeah, you know, like it was. 
I think it went into a VHS tape. It was like a... Wow. Like a, 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 They've always been about use our format so you can't use it anywhere yeah, else, aren't they? Yeah. So we bought a video camera for Christmas and I just took it over and used it. And me and my friends would take turns filming each other. And, and I got really into it. And basically, um, you know, I just was hooked. That was my thing. But before that, my dad was worried that I was going to do nothing with my life and that he would call me a poor specimen. Um, get off the couch, you poor specimen. And, and you know, he was he was worried. And then nowadays it's the other way. He's he's worried because I work too much because I love it so much. But now, okay, you want to shut your... Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, I was just thinking this, like, I only... Last week I got this phone and it's, you know, it's absolute bananas. I can film 120 frame a second... 1080p slow-mo on my phone and then publish it for the world to see within a minute yeah. of itself. But you're, you're talking about lugging around, I don't know, 10 or 20 kilos worth of gear once you get the tripods and everything and the power supplies down to the beach uh, right. to take photos and take, take videos of your friends. Were you, at what point, because there's a, there's a big jump between just filming your friends and then oh, it'd be good if we edited out all the paddling parts. Like, were you editing from the camera down to a, the home machine? Yeah. What was the first edits you were doing? Yeah, and the first edits, I, that happened pretty quick for, for me. I was editing from the camera to a VHS tape pretty quick. And the way that I would do it, it, it was completely linear. You would edit every wave in order, and then you'd go back and place the song underneath it. And so sometimes the song would match, and sometimes it wouldn't, and it would surprise you when it does match, and you'd sort of have to guess and, and map it out in your head. So... Um, but I was editing right away, and, and that was just part of the thing, maybe just being a 12-year-old and having time on my hands. I just just started doing it. But I guess when you're 12, you know, I kind of wonder now, uh, uh, do kids now have this disadvantage that they're so distracted all day long by this thing versus just plowing every minute of your day into be it a guitar or writing or taking a photograph or something? Yeah, you know, that um, it's interesting because... Uh, you know, video games and all those things were out then. I was just into making videos. And I think it's it's nice if you have something you're passionate about to just focus on that and, and just really dive into it um, compared to trying to learn everything and being sort of good at everything, but just really jumping into something that you are really into. What did you get out of filming your friends? Um, well, you know, like probably there was, um, you know... I was probably into watching myself too, you know, like and trying to make, um, you know, uh, you know, we take turns videoing each other. So like I got to watch myself surf, which is always um, disheartening at first and then you get used to it. And then, then it's sort of fun if you take out the bad bits and try to make yourself look as good as possible. Um, but I think like there's a lot of, uh, I was super shy. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, approval and, and sort of like, praise that I would get back from it, and I fed off that. Would you invite people around for the uh, screenings? You know, as I got into high school, I would. (laughs) (laughs) Come on over, Taylor's got this rad video of us all surfing last weekend. Yeah, exactly. And and, and then I started trading out clips that I would give people for, like, new board shorts and, like, stickers and stuff, and I was starting to get stuff back from it, too. Oh, so the economy began. Yeah. uh, The Bali barter. At an early age, like at 14 or so, I was, I'd be able to, if I got a good clip, I could trade it for, for something. A, cl- a clip of a, a surfer. A, of another surfer, yeah. And you would then give them the tape. Yeah, then... I'd make a little, I'd put a couple waves of them down on a tape and then trade out for, you know, 
board shorts or because t-shirt. I guess you know prior to uh, prior to Instagram or prior to having a magazine photographer interested in you, footage was a rare commodity. It was rare. Not a lot of people had cameras back then. So, um, like for example, Machado, um, he he never saw himself surf. So I got some footage of him, and he, he was very like excited to see how he, how he looked surfing. And then a- after he saw that, he w- it was an ongoing thing of he constantly would be, you know, inviting me on trips and like so he could get more footage and and check it out. It yeah, was a because, tool. Yeah, but that's the thing. That's the thing that you then you know the way the economy at the time worked is that here's some footage of photographs of me, surf company. Why don't you put me in a pair of your board shorts and you know, yeah. I can wear them on your trip. And just for folks who don't understand how surfers can, can make money, this is the, this is the currency yeah. uh, that, that surfers kind of trade in. So that, I'm always fascinated with people who move in, 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 in circles. So you and Machado, like from that age, you were around each other? We, at like 12, we Far were like, out. hanging out. Yeah, yeah. We surfed the same surf spot. And so... I, you know, he wasn't a part of our group that we'd rotate and video each other, but he was like a year younger and he was ripping. So we'd video all the local rippers too. And then, you know, it's sort of evolved from that. And so at what point did you start to think, this is good, but I watch other surf films and geez, everyone seems to be bigger in the frame. Maybe they can zoom more. I need another lens. At what point did that start to get in on you? Yeah, pretty early, you know, like I, I think, um, yeah, I, there was, I was watching, um, there's Australian filmmaker, um, Chris Bystrom back in the day. And he, he had these, these films that were just like to, uh, you know, untouchables and Huda gurus and all these bands that were upbeat and had a tempo to them. So I, I would try to edit like he did and try to get those same sort of tracks that he used and, you know, from that, I would just try to get my film style similar to his and, and whatever it took. You know, like um, California, where I was at, I was lucky it was all close to the beach. Right. So I didn't need those big lenses that are expensive. Yeah. Because uh, uh, you, you mentioned on an, an important point in, in many people's careers is the, the, the part where you, before you achieve your own style, where you're uh, mm-hmm. not necessarily copying or imitating, but modeling yourself on someone else's style. Do you, do you feel that, that that's important? I, you know, like I definitely was doing it. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's several different ones that I was, you know, like influenced by strongly, if not copying, you know, like, but, um, you know, I didn't have the same tools they had. So if I was, if I even could copy them exactly um, camera wise and motion wise, or even the same surfers, my equipment was so different that it would have looked pretty different as well. But there is definitely my strong influences. When did the uh, when did the big what what came first the the upgrade of location or the upgrade of equipment? Um, uh, location came first. Yeah. So you took the same camera that your family yeah. got for Christmas and you went on the road. Pretty much. <laughs> my camera was was really cheap and, and low quality. It was high eight, and so it was upgraded a little bit, but not not really, and. Uh, um, yeah, then just was, was traveling with the guys. And so at this point, you're now heading south of the border, but without your parents? Um, yeah, I went to Australia when I was 16 on my own. Wow. And uh, How'd you manage that? I just, I think my parents were like, wow, he's so shy. He doesn't really do anything. The fact that he wants to go and go for it, 
you know, we'll let them, we'll let them go. What, what spurned the trip? Why did you want to go? Um, just being a surfer, just seeing the surf, like every now and then we'd get a random surf magazine from Australia and the, the, the images of the Gold Coast and, and that sort of thing from the 80s was very, very different and very exciting and, and foreign and, and looked fun. So what you land on the Gold Coast uh, in the, like 1988. No, probably 86 maybe. 86. No, wait, it would be 88. 72. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're two right. years older than me. Yeah, yeah, 88. So you land on the Gold Coast, the bicentennial year. Fancy, very fancy time for us as our country. <laughs> what, what does a kid feel like on the other side of the world for the first time? Well, you know, this is pre, pre a lot of things, pre, you know, like we didn't know where we were going to stay and we didn't. So our plan was we were going to land, rent a car and then figure it out. We each had, there's a couple of us, there's three of us. We each had big board bags, you know. And so we landed, and we landed in Brisbane, and we were too young to rent a car. You have to be 25. We didn't know that at the time. So we couldn't rent a car, and we were just walking around Brisbane with board bags trying to find a hotel to try to figure it out. And it was just, I I clearly remember it feeling like, well, I'm completely over my head. Wow. If I'd only known, you could have stayed at my place. I, I grew up there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, it's too bad. Um, it was a bit of a cow town at the end of the 80s. Absolutely. It was a small place back then. Yeah. Yeah, I remember just crossing the bridge and just not knowing where we, what we were going to do. And um, um, in the end, we stayed in a hotel for that day and figured it out. And um, we went to a car, a car lot, used car lot, and bartered with him and said if we buy this car for two months and bring it back we buy it back and you're like 16 doing yeah. this deal yeah so we bought a car a valiant and we just drove all over australia and uh <laughs> that must have been some trip did you ever get pulled over um we didn't get pulled over but we what we did do is we left the parking brake on and we drove to townsville <laughs> And so we completely, you know, screwed up the brake. And we didn't have seatbelts, so we had a rope that we put in there that we thought Safety would, first. Yeah, we thought the rope would save us, but it would have probably chopped us in half. Um, There's no surf past Bundaberg, though. I know, like, we had these um, rough sketches that sort of said there is, you know. And so we, we thought there was, and we went the wrong way, really. You know, like, we should have been going south. But eventually you figured it out. Eventually, we figured it out, yeah. And what were those first Australian waves like? Yeah, it was, um, we were there during July, which was our summer break in America. And surprisingly, there wasn't much swell the whole time we were there. It was pretty small. We surfed like head high snapper. And snapper, it was when Kira was there. So it was just a different setup then. Um, but it was, uh, it, was, it was nice. It was so clear. And I remember just the waves breaking different. And there's a crispest crispness about it and yeah it was it was just overall just a life-changing trip you know like it it got the travel bug in me and it also you know really really made me fall in love with australia but you took the the camera with you on this journey obviously. yeah 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 and so when you got back and you were showing people this footage did people notice a difference they're like taylor you're onto something here um uh you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to tell what people thought. Um, I think my evolution as a filmmaker was really slow during those times. 
you know, like, I don't think I was that good. Well, clearly something happened because only a few short years later you created one of the, the, the most seminal surf films of certainly my lifetime with the momentum. I think, uh, you know, looking back on it, it's, it's the good thing about that film is I embraced my weaknesses and, and the flaws became strengths and the, how simple of, of skills that I had became, you know, I guess maybe more profound because it was so minimalist. What happens when you turn in and, and lean into those flaws? Uh, what, what's that? What happens when you lean into those flaws when you go, okay, let's go? You know, like I, I, I borrowed money to make that film and it was sort of like one of these things like I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to um, really go for it. And I sort of felt like it was all or nothing. Like if that didn't work, then I was going to go back to college and, and sort of go find a normal job. Because at that time, surf films weren't really a career. You know, there was, people didn't do that. There was a handful of people in the world that, that did that. You were working with people that have obviously you know, worked with photographers on the, before, photographers both on the land, photographers on the water. What was it that you were doing differently? Well, for one, I was shooting video, and, and like most people were shooting photos. And there was just, I was, I was the, well, he, he shoots videos, we'll bring him with us. He's not a conflict, he, he's doing his own thing. Um, so I think it was quite honestly like, like nobody was really like beating down the door to shoot Kelly and Rob during that time. And since I was around and I was excited to shoot with them, they're like, yeah, you could hang out. But, but again, this is everybody else hears, you know, this is Rob. You're like, this is my mate from school. This yeah. Is Rob from school. Yeah. So Rob really like introduced me to everybody and his career escalating was the difference for me. It, if he didn't really make it and no one else in my hometown made it, it would have been really tough for me to, to make that step. Watching um, your new film, I, I, I did watch it on a, on a download link, but I, my monitor is this big, so yeah, I, I, did, I wasn't quite, not quite the big screen uh, <laughs> that I'll, I'll see at the, at the premiere. Um, but watching Proximity uh, last night, I came out and uh, it's possibly the most peaceful surf film I've ever watched. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, uh, yeah. Um, well, when we went in to make it, um, we were just knowing, like, I'll, I'll just backtrack a little bit. Like when Momentum came out, seeing surfing was a rarity. You know, there was, there was, it wasn't on TV all the time. There's no internet. And so, you know, it was sort of a novelty to see it. Fast forward to now, it's everywhere. You're bombarded by it. And the progression level on the internet via the surf contest that you can watch have high stakes and crazy progression. You watch a webisode every day or, or at least once a week that's next level, incredible. And all these things are sort of approached for a, a short attention span. And, you know, like I just sort of really went through, you know, two things. What would be a different film for me to make and what would be different for the viewers to, to, to experience? What is the, you know, purpose of a surf film nowadays? And so for me, um, you know, emotion is more of the difference 
um, emotion, having people feel something and, and challenge the way people, you know, digest surfing. Yeah. Yeah, hit the nail on the head there. My my thirteen year old, she watches the Instagram stories that the WSL put up, and every I, I was like, oh, really? So I, I started following it along, and you're absolutely right. Every day, it's like tens of thousands of dollars of production value going into every frame, and that they're, they're updated every six hours. You're watching someone doing a reverse upside down, backwards something, and you just can't believe what's coming at you. And there's something new to look at four times a day, versus when you first put your first films out, it's like, oh, the movie's over. Let's rewind it and watch it again. Yep. Uh, come over. I've got a copy of it. Ooh, because, you know, dubbing things was hard. Yeah. And as you dubbed it, it, it degraded. You know, you've got a second, third, fourth-hand copy of it. You can barely see the picture. So it's fascinating hearing you say how people, are, how people have changed consuming the visuals mm-hmm. of surfing um, and describing a time before it was on every second cola commercial or, you know, selling board shorts and clothes all over the world and becoming more, to be honest, more about selling board shorts and clothes than mm-hmm. being out in the ocean waiting for a wave. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting that, that the way you describe the, the difference in those two things. Um, and again, if there was one thing that I do, the new film reminded me of. There was a couple of shots in there that really reminded me of um, No Country for Old Men. Mm. Just these long, locked off shots of just tiny little Jeep traveling down a dirt road. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. For 30 seconds, which is... Almost unheard of in a, in a surf film. I expect 16 edits and four songs in that time. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it, this, this film has been a challenge against every sort of natural instinct to change, to pick it up, to appease the audience. And, and I guess for me, um, you know, like it's really having that point of difference, doing something that feels different, feels fresh, feels... Or, or maybe not fresh, maybe old, it, but it just feels like uh, a different surf film than than that's been released. And I think there's a challenge in that for me that that stimulates the desire to even make it is to try to how can you make something different in today's world? Why did you want to show four different seasons of surfing? You know, like I, I think it, um, the seasons represent the same synergy that the sort of a repeating of characters. You know, Craig Anderson reminds me so much of Rob, and that's a, a same thing that the seasons do. And it's not a negative. It's not a, you know, there's, it's just what happens. You know, people resonate towards certain kinds of way of riding waves or being or you know, um, dressing. You know, so it just reminded me of the seasons sort of synergy in that that sense. And I, I thought it was a nice way to sort of, um, you know, link things together and have more layers to the story. Is that how you approached pairing the surfers up for the trips? 
No, um, it started pretty organically, and I think as it goes, you, I just like to give more to it. And, you know, the, I guess for me, like, I'm spoiled from those momentum days where people would watch my films for a while and, and not watch them for just one time and be done with it and moved on to the next sort of thing. And so in my head, I'm, you know, romantically attached to that, that sort of experience of having someone watch the film over and over again. And so I just was constantly trying to, to think of how this film could have elements that are, are layered and that you could experience it. If you go back and watch it, you'll learn something different or see some foreshadowing of something else and, and um, connect other dots that were you know, thought about. There was a, f a few sequences in the film that I was really taken aback by and they were all based around the stuff out of the water. Having spent a little bit of time on the, it was the ASP tour then, um, with our mutual friend Jesse Fain, the most exciting times on those trips were the conversations over the Scrabble board um, or up on the North Shore with him, um, talking, just talking for hours as, as we played games of Scrabble versus sitting around. Because you, the lie of surfing films is that you're always on a wave, always doing something awesome. 99% of it is paddling, getting smashed or waiting around for the waves to be right. And this was the first film I've seen that kind of showed that. I yeah. mean, that's, that's what was, you know, really yeah. resonant with me. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, I'd love to sort of take credit for that was always going to be the case. Um, but as we started filming, it became obvious to me that that is what I'm most interested in. By pairing these two, you know, similar surfers from different generations together, that the conversations that they were talking about had me as a fan of surfing just enthralled and so it was just capturing more of that like how do i capture more and more and so then um you know the setting of of everything else sort of just fell more obvious at that point um it it you know like us getting no waves was super stressful on some of these trips in the beginning but then once in the edit room it became entertaining and so you never know until you get in the edit room what's going to stick. Two guys standing in a pub playing darts, philosophizing over what if I've already caught the best wave of my life? I mean, that question, I've had to pause and just sit there, you know, just a couple of minutes going, shit, yeah? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, um, uh, I knew that these pairings, I've, been, I've hung out with these guys. I know that they're they're deeper than they they come off, and so I know that there's going to be conversations that are going to be interesting for the everyday person. Um, I I don't want it to be preachy and be like you should think this. Um, I just want them to talk and and sort of like talk about stuff that that maybe could connect to somebody that doesn't surf huge waves, and and think about things that like maybe um, you know. We've all had sessions where we're paddling out and we're scared. You know, you can relate on that level. And I think each trip represents a different side of surfing to me. And, um, you know, we've all had scary sessions. We've all had sort of had our, you know, competitive side on. And, and you know, like each, each thing has a different thing. I don't want to give them all away what each ones are. I like for you to decipher your own sort of meaning from each trip.
I, uh, I was so, so happy that the very first time uh, – I've been really quite influenced in my approach to being in the water. I started surfing quite late in life. I've, I've been really influenced by um, some time I spent with Dave Rasevich on a, on a trip or two and the things that he would say to me, nah, nah, mate, there's no such thing as bad surf, only poor choice of equipment. That's what he'd always, <laughs> what he'd always say. And uh, – the very first thing you see him surfing on in the film, which I won't give away, just lit me up with joy that because the stoke on his face that he's even just on the wave is, yeah. is worth you know, the fact that he's not flying upside down and doing twirls in the air. That was just, it was just that's everything for me. That's, that's everything for me about surfing is the way he approached that first wave he does in the film. Yeah, you know, like th- that trip... For me, I felt like I just hanging out listening to Dave Rostovich and Steph Gilmore uh, talking about, you know, whatever. I felt like I was evolving as a person, just soaking up a little bit of their their overall just essence because they seem just more evolved than a lot of us. And they, they, they have their priorities in the right place. And so for me, it was really exciting to, to know that they both – are like that because I don't know Steph as well as I know Dave, but I know Dave's that way and Steph's the same. Watching the two of them on the one wave was possibly the most beautiful. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I'm not trying to pump your tires, mate, but it was like a lot. It, it was one of the most beautiful pieces of, of surfing footage I think I've ever seen. It was, it was dancing and it was joy, the joy in their faces. Yeah. It was glorious to watch. Yeah, well, when we were filming that, we were getting goosebumps shooting that. But, you know, like the, you know, back in the Polynesian days, way back when, they used to describe riding waves as a dance with the ocean. And so it is really, it's really rare that there's two surfers that surf alike, but they're male and female, and they, they are both equals in ability. And just, it was, yeah, it was great that they started doing that. And then they did it a bunch of times, but there's one wave that they really synced up on, and that was that, what we used. When you've lived a life waiting for, because like I said before, a lot of surfing is waiting, and particularly if you're filming it, the surf might be great, but the sun's in the wrong spot. So you can't shoot because everyone's going to be a shadow. So you spend a lot of your life kind of waiting for nature to be ready for you. What does that do when you're living your life by someone else's clock? You know, like I think um, surfing has a lot of great lessons in that and it teaches you to go with the flow and, and just, you know, be, be patient and, and, and then when it's time, then you go, you know, so you just, it gives you a good rhythm with, with the rest of the world. And for me, like I, I have two daughters and I, I, you know, want them to experience that the same way that I've been blessed to um, approach intense and stressful situations by slowing down and, and, and approaching it like how I would surfing. But sometimes it's hard to slow down. Sometimes you get that limbic system kicks in and you're angry before you've understood what the hell's going on. Yeah, it's, it's true. Um, but I think like most surfers have a good flow with intense situations because of, of the ocean and, and feeling out that synergy. Can you talk a little bit about, you, you, you talked about... Um, uh, you know, being around other surfers and being influenced by by other surfers, and perhaps mentioning some filmmakers that that also influenced you. But there's a particular surfer uh, that you have in this film who never features on camera, um, but 
gives a fantastic um, prologue and epilogue to the film. Can you talk a bit about how you got him involved? Yeah, there was, um, you know, with, with filmmaking and when you're in the edit bay, you know, you're just constantly trying to, you know, make it all make sense for the viewer and, and not just have it for yourself where you get these, these um, story arcs. And so early on, we, we wanted to have a narrator and we toyed around with some big celebrity names and, and, um, and what that would be like. And then, um, you know, one day it just hit us, uh, me and uh, the writer, Nathan Myers, um, he was, he shot behind the scenes. He did a bunch of everything. So he's on the whole project all the way through. One day it just hit us that like Jerry Lopez would be perfect. And it it was uh it was surreal because I don't know Jerry Lopez, but Nathan does, and we went wow he'd be it'd be great if he you know narrated, but it'd also be great if he you know gave some insight and and just sort of like gave his view of things because to me he's like our alan watts and he's he's sort of like our our voice of you know inner peace and he's a soul. pretty deep he's a deep cat. He's a deep cat. Yeah, it's, a, it's, authentic. A it's yeah. authentic, you know, if he tells you, you know, how life is, you know, like I, I would, I would listen to Jerry Lopez on what, how to live life. And so, um, yeah, we reached out to him and, and we had a crazy deadline and we reached out to him and he's, he's in Oregon and he's going, I'm just about to board on a plane for Mexico and I'm going to be out of touch for two months. And that didn't work with our schedule. And we, we, you know, Nathan's in Indonesia, I'm in, in Australia, and he's in Oregon, and we're trying to figure out how we could get this audio, you know, this, this part of the project. And so Nathan um, brilliantly searched and found a, a studio. And so we booked a studio time, and, and Jerry went down to the studio and recorded just some thoughts and and some ideas that we 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 gave him some starting points and he just recorded it and he was done in like 30 minutes and was backpacking and on his plane to Mexico. So you you didn't even direct him over the phone. No. That's just him. That's just him. And so, you know, he 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 laid down a bunch of stuff but like um, the stuff that we ended up using a lot of it's like he just surprised us with some moments. Yeah, cuz I saw he had a writing credit. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then I go, how much do I owe you for this? You know, can I please pay you? And he's like, no, I don't want any money. I, you know, like I, and then, so now I'm, I'm in the process of trying to think, what do you give Jerry Lopez as a gift? You know, like he has everything. So it's like a tough dilemma that I'm trying to figure out still. Uh, may buy him a snowboard. Right. He's got boards. He's got. He's got, he's got, he's got snowboards. snowboards. He's got surfboards. <laughs> he's got everything that I could think of that he'd like. Um, yeah, that is a tricky. That is a tricky one. Um, can I ask about? Uh, you, you mentioned that 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 that's a. Obviously, you're 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 working very hard to a deadline. You're you're in the the scale of films now where you're. You're using investors' money to make a film. You're beholden to timelines and release schedules and things like that. So, in such a free flowing environment where you are waiting for tides and winds and travel and depending on the area of the world political things to die down so you can go there how do you how do you adjust your workflow so you can so you can fit into that 
Well, uh, I was lucky that um, right before I started the edit process, I was hired to do a commercial down here in Australia. And I worked with a great editor, you know, down here in a team um, at ARC, and his name's Graham. And it was a, just a really, like, seamless flow to it. And I went, wow, this would be great to work with him on this project. What I didn't really factor in is I, you know, have young kids and, and I can't just spend like two months in Australia. So I ended up flying back and forth to Australia three times to New York and back um, this year, you know, in, the, in three months time. I, w- I did that and, and it got to be some flights were booked. So I ended up going through Dubai a couple of times and I, I went around the world and went back around the world, um, you know, so... It was, it was just, it got crazy logistically to do that. But working with them, like we were all in sync and we, you know, like they really, they don't know surfing. And so they approached it in a sense of how do we make this not like anything that's been out, but also have a really um, cinematic feel and feel like um, a movie. And so they were really, um, you know, kept me true to a lot of these ideas that we started out with and talked about. Um, and then, then... Um, you know, all that was really sort of seamless, but where the, where the stress that you're talking about and sort of the pressures of deadlines and stuff started coming in is my production company, you know, they didn't really, they they weren't in line with, they weren't used to this sort of surf film and they wanted something a little bit more obvious. And so I, there became like this battle of who's right. And, and that's a stressful thing when you know it's not your money and but you know like um it was a good lesson for me to sort of like be able to be just true to um you know what i feel and and if if i don't feel it then then you know then it's not right do you find it difficult trying to look i'd rather be down the beach with a camera in my hand i don't want to be on the phone telling turning a no into a yes yeah, you know, like I'm a, a people pleaser. Um, that's part of the reason that I make films. You know, it's it's I need that sort of affirmation. Um, so when it comes to having somebody on the team or somebody that's helped fund it and and having them not happy, it it is stressful for me. But I think you know, like there's there's I I, I feel obligated just to you know myself. Um, and having that emotional connection to it because I feel like that's the closest way for me to gauge what someone else in the world will think. What role does the ocean play in your stress relief? Um, I wish it was more during the edit process. <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing because making surf films is not the best way to stay in the water. Um, when I'm editing, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not surfing. But when I'm everything else, I get surf time. So, um, yeah, it, I, I wasn't able to use that as a tool this time or use mm. this as an escape from, from that stress. Do you get antsy if you haven't been in the water for a while? Yeah. Yeah, my wife says, like, uh, go surf. You know, like, if, if I haven't surfed for a week or so, like, she can feel it. You know, like, you need to go surf. And then I come back and I'm just lighter. <laughs> lighter? Yeah. What do you mean? Well, when I, when I, you know, everything that sort of like is weighing you down on your, your daily sort of like stress when you go surf, each time I go under a wave, it washes some of that away. And then 
by the end of a normal surf session, it's usually gone. Well, what an incredible way to describe it. But there's a few people listening that would, would love to feel that, but there's something so intimidating about going out on the water past where you can touch. Yeah, it takes time. You know, like there's just stepping stones. I, I remember taking my kids down to the water and, and sort of hearing the ocean differently because it's loud, it's intense, and there's a lot of energy to it. And if you're forcing against it, you know, it's quite intimidating. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's just stepping stones. Like for those who are not comfortable in the ocean, it's, it's slowly feeling it out. And then, you know, it, like anything, you, the more you do it, the better you get. Do you think there's, um, as someone who's paid very close attention to the ocean since you were 10 years old, um, do you notice... Do you notice uh, changes in the ocean as you as you travel around? As you know, we're being told on the news every day that you know we're we're in trouble environmentally. We're in a lot of trouble. Do you notice changes? Um, yeah, I, I notice um, you know the way that the beaches are more so than the actual ocean itself. But I notice the way that the sand isn't coming back in some places, and and just the way that um, you know. The, the beaches are eroding and, and getting destroyed and, and the trash that shows up and, and sharks in different spots and just changes in, in the way that, you know, other things are going on inside the ocean, but not, not the waves per but se. But those things are, are profound, what yeah. you just described. Yeah. When the, to have, I mean, we certainly noticed that here in Sydney. Suddenly there's white pointers here or that never, great whites, I mean. Yeah. that never used to be here. Yeah. And now they're turning up. Yeah. yeah it's super scary. Um, you know, I lived in Byron Bay and, you know, one year there was just attack after attack after attack up there. And, you know, like having kids, that's super scary. That's, that's, that's one of those things that it affects the way you, you enjoy it. It affects the way you release from the ocean. You're, you're maybe more tense in the water. Um, and it's happening all over the world. Yeah. As as you look at you've uh, someone that has worked in the the surfing industry, and it is it is an industry for you know for many people who've not surfed, they recognise it as the the store in the shopping mall that you know sells the Havianas. Like that's what surfing is. It's not you know buying a board and, and paddling out and, and waiting for the right wave. As you travel around the world and go to different places, do you see like particularly those kids uh, with um, Kelly and John John that were just playing with these kids? Do you do you see a different way that those kids approach the ocean than, say, for example, your own kids or kids that grow up in a, in a kind of a more marketed to audience? You know, like I think that there's definitely um, kids who treat the ocean as a gift and then there's um, kids that just feel it's their right, they're, they're obligated to it. Um, so, you know, I think the more that it's surrounded with them, you know, the less that they're, like, appreciative of it. Um, but the ocean has so much it could give that even if you go in with this, like, I'm owed this beach day or whatever it is, the ocean will teach you. <laughs> Do you mean humble you? Yeah. <laughs> and, and within that being humble, you, uh, you take a different step back and you, you realize all these lessons that you've learned by becoming a better surfer and fitting in with the pack in the water and just even getting out to the back of the waves and getting through the waves and making it outside. 
But so. that is something that does turn, I know it certainly turns me off and other people I know, it, it drives us to get out of town and go find a beach where there aren't knuckleheads who believe that, no, this wave is my wave and you'll, you know, never catch another wave here again. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I understand both sides of that, that, that slant, you know, where it's nice. Where I grew up, it was a localized surf spot. And as a kid, I showed respect. And over the years, I got, you know, waves given to me. Um, but I also think that that could go way too far and there's no, like, obvious, like, black and white. Um, and I've seen sides of it where, you know, bullies would pull up in, in mentalities on a boat and kick everybody else out of the water and, and, and surf by themselves. And uh, so... You know, this to me, it's it's uh, you know, it's it's not ideal. But if there's too many people in the water, it could be dangerous as well. Um, so I don't, I don't know the answer to it. But I I I prefer lesser quality wave by myself than a better quality wave with a lot of people. We are uh, we are similar in that mindset. <laughs> yeah. I, would, I would absolutely prefer. I'd prefer body surfing an empty shore break than I would yeah. You know, yeah. doing doing anything else. When you when you look across the and, and you are largely and whether you like it or not, you are one of the people responsible for modern surf filmmaking because of the way that not only the way you made those earlier films, but whom you um, covered in those earlier films, and you got to follow these careers and 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 make films and document these incredible moments in their careers. Yet you were kind of the only person doing the documenting where now you see someone like John John Florence who's travelling with a team, all right, and, and is owning his own content and creating his own content. Do you see a shift happening in the way the, the economics of the surf industry work? For sure. I, th I think that, that shift has changed drastically um, with social media and the way that people can market themselves and so that they're just more conscious now of how they're being marketed and they want to own that and they want to own it down to the way that their surf footage is. Um, I think for me, it's always been like, there's going to be changes and it's how you deal with those changes. And I think I, I haven't been the best filmmaker out of the bunch and I haven't been the, you know, the, the, you know, the most rewarded, but I've, I've been able to change. You know, I, I, I think my strength is the fact that I'm, you know, open to new ideas, open to change, open to trying to prove myself and not really getting stuck on the, trying to get the praise from the 90s or whatever. Um, I want to I just improve and get better. And I know that there's going to be new obstacles each time. And so um, nowadays the obstacles are everybody sort of does it themselves so they don't need a filmmaker to come in and, and work with them. They could... It's actually riskier for them to work with another filmmaker because they might show something that they don't like. Whereas it's interesting hearing you say owning it, owning what they do all the way down to the footage, as like an artist uh, would say, I, I don't own my masters. I don't own the master tapes mm -hmm. of my album. A record company owns them. They can do whatever they want with them. This is something I created. Um, to, to own it all the way down to the footage is a is an a very empowering way for the surfer to be. So how do you change? How do you adapt? What is this new film a way for you to fit in with that? Um, I don't know if it, the new film is a way to fit in with that. Um, I think that, 
you know, basically, for one, you know, I think it's they deserve to ha- own their own footage. They're the the anomaly, you know, like they serve, they could do flips, you know, like I'm standing on the beach with a camera. So there's a big difference. Um, thousands and thousands of people could do what I do. Only a handful could do what they could do. So they deserve that. They deserve that sort of like that balance of power. Um, for me, like I want to just bring value back to everybody involved in the project. I want the surfers to walk away with it and go, that was worth my time to do. I like the way that that came out. I like what happened after that. I like working on that. I like going on that trip with Taylor and I like how the film came out of the end. So I think my perspective is, is not letting ego get in the way of things and just um, make it fun for everybody involved and, and hopefully make it like, so that it shows a new side of them that, that you normally don't see. In the space of your career, you've seen surfing being documented by still film where you had to swim back into the ocean out and back into the shore to change role and swim back out into the lineup to shooting on video to now shooting on full frame sensors, shooting with drones, shooting in every orifice with a GoPro stuck to everything. What makes you excited about what's to come with how you can film surfing? Yeah, for me, like, like I've gone through stages where I was all about progression. It was all about the surfing performance. And actually, there were shots that I knew the filmmaking was bad. There was slanted horizons. But I didn't care because what the surfers did was amazing. And I wanted to make sure I captured the best stuff that year of those guys. To capturing the feeling of travel and capturing the feeling of going on a trip and what, it like, what it's like to be in that country. To now, like, I'm excited by, like, the next chapter of just telling stories and, and giving a feeling of what it's like to be a surfer. And I think there's a lot of latitude in that space of the stories, the kind of ways to give that feeling back is, is endless. So uh, are you kind of saying that, yeah, another guy could come along um, and, I don't know, have the, the greatest gimbal ever and have the most beautiful steady shot of a person, like a tracking shot as they ran down the beach with an 800 mil lens doing something. But um, it's more for you now about the com- like telling the story of, of the, the human that does those things. Yeah, for me, it's the emotional connection to that moment that I'm trying to capture, the, the moment that they're maybe paddling out or the moment that they're sitting back and talking to each other. And so it's capturing these little moments, um, you know, that's what gets me excited about. And, and I still love watching this crazy hi-fi stuff, but this film is not about that. The surfing is secondary, if not even back to the third, you know, like it's, it's about being on that trip with them. And it, it sort of takes the pressure off the guys, really. Like, it's one trip. They don't need to do the craziest maneuver ever done in history. You could just get the feeling of them going surfing. And I, I think um, it's, it's my goal was to take that pressure off them and just really just connect with them as people. And I think there's a lot of room for that. Um, I think people, you know, build these guys up so much, but they're actually great guys. And, and so it's, it's showing that side of them. There's few, if any, I'm just trying to think of any other elite sports in the world that have as few people involved. Maybe Formula One has as few people involved at the very, very top end. But you've had experience with uh, the highest, highest end of surfers, male and female surfers, 
uh, at every point in your career. Do you, do you recognise something in them that they have in common? Um, well, I think, uh, yeah, I think a lot of these guys are are constantly challenging themselves, constantly thinking of how to how they can improve. Um, I also think that they're so passionate about what they do that that's kept them young. It's kept them excited. I I think people to me get, uh, feel old when they're um, bitter or or bored, and so excited people makes me excited. And so um, yeah, I think that excitement has kept Kelly and Rob and Shane. They're like Roms. They're, they're as young as. As Albie, John, John, and Craig, if not younger, they there was times where they were staying out, and and the younger guys would come in and be like, "I'm exhausted," and and those guys were still going strong. So, um, I think what they have in common is just that sort of energy, you know. And do you recognize that when you meet someone new for the first time? Oh, you've got it. Um, no, like, like. Uh, I'm inspired by John John, you know, like, but I didn't realize how much he was like Kelly until we got on this trip, how intelligent he is, how, how devoted he is and how, how into the details and, and really breaking down the mechanics and the technical side of each thing he does from, from chess to sailing, to flying planes, to, to camera gear. He knew about more about our cameras than, than a lot of our camera guys and the lenses and the, the drones and the gimbals. And he, he could break down all these things. And he was geeking out with the drone guys, but then also geeking out with the, the camera guy and lenses. And um, yeah, so from, you know, like you have an idea, you can sort of sense it, but, but until you actually go on a trip with them, you don't know it's to what level. You are... I guess, you know, from, from, well, certainly for people who are as, I mean, I'm old, but um, you're like, if, if anything, the fifth Beatle uh, for a lot of the generation of surfers that are currently, as you mentioned, they're still surfing, but they will retire one day. And you said that you, when those guys pack it away, you'll pack it away. Do you feel good about people like John John and Steph Gilmore carrying the torch? For sure. You know, um, especially those guys and girls, um, you know, Steph's one of the most inspiring people I've ever met. She's so just down to earth, but but just curious about guitar, photography, all the. She's trying to evolve herself as a person. She's not settling and going. I won six world titles. I give me the give me whatever I want. She's humble and she's gracious. Um, so like that is an amazing ambassador for our sport for the next twenty years. And John, you know, John, John, he's, he, he, we went on a trip with him and Mick uh, and we, you know, didn't have any food. So we just had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And he was t- stoked on that, you know, and that's sort of like my litmus test, whether they're like a prima donna or, or down to earth. And if you could just eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then go back and surf for another couple of hours, then you're in the right frame of mind. And. He just cares about surfing and, and his, his things that make him happy. It's not about money and trying to get all these accolades. He just wants to surf all the time and, and do his other hobbies that he loves. So, you, yeah. You're, you're on the road. You've got the, the premiere uh, in here in Sydney tomorrow night. 
yet your hotel room is covered in post-it notes of the next projects you're working on. Uh, do you subscribe to this idea of constant evolving keeps you young? Yeah, I definitely do. I think like it's it's proven through you know nature that you have to evolve or you're just going to get passed up. And for me, like routine is the scariest thing. It's to, it's something that. Um, you know, I try to stay away from, I try to break it up and, and do different things that will mix it up and make myself think differently. You know, um, I move every six years for that reason. And I, I do these different things to sort of shock the system. Well, uh, I'm grateful that you came down here <laughs> and took the time to talk to me today. Taylor. Yeah. Thank, thank you so you. much, thank man. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks no for worries, that. man. I'm just going to shoot your photo real quick. Okay? Yeah, of course. Thanks, champ. That was Taylor Steele. You can find him on Instagram, T-A-Y-L-O-R-S-T-L-L-E. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to everybody that has supported the show through the week. If you enjoyed this show, please uh, pop in on Taylor's Instagram and let him know that you heard it. Um, maybe you could tag him in a podsy, whatever you're doing right now. Take a photo of it and tag Taylor. Tell him you're listening. And if you really enjoyed the show, if you thought that this show brought you some value, please consider you can be a part of making the show, patreon.com slash osher. And um, that helps us make the show. And uh, in return, as a thank you, I will send you exclusive episodes that no one else can get. There's quite a few of them now, and they're well worth it. I've got to get out of here. Have a fantastic weekend. Go and see the movie Proximity. It's out as limited release in Australia on the 12th of May, and uh, then it goes digital. But check it on the big screen because it's uh, really something else. Take the person in your life that loves to surf to go and watch it, and um, I promise you'll get something out of it as well because that Jerry Lopez stuff, the narration, the philosophy that's on board, it goes leaps and bounds. It's way, way, way more than just waves. All right. Uh, I love you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Whatever you're doing with your week, I hope it's good. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best-kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.